listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you here today. Um, It's interesting. We're continuing our study of the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 16 today. And uh, the whole purpose of what we've been doing in this series is that uh, through the book of John, seeking to come to understand more of the character and nature of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to make that difficult because we're actually going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. So at the end of the sermon, you'll be like, well, how does this relate to the character and nature of Jesus Christ? And, and I, I have a host of problems to put before you today. You know, often when I speak, I try to have some pictures in the beginning of the sermon to capture something about what this is all about and you know what the message is gonna be about and maybe some of what was going on in that time period. And it's a little hard when you're dealing with the topic of the Holy Spirit. And I, I tried my best. Uh, James is gonna bring them up. This is, this is like the best that we could do. Maybe a couple more here. Um, Yes, there we go. It's another image that supposedly I think is supposed to conjure up the idea. Oh, and that. It's very difficult to find imagery that's appropriate for understanding of the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I think I said I had many challenges. The, the, uh, another challenge with this as well is that my dad's here today. And uh, this is what he does. That's right. This is what he did for a living, so I feel a little nervous. So before we left, maybe about five minutes before we left, my mom says to me, are you nervous at all about speaking in front of your dad today? I said, yes, honestly, I am. So a few minutes later, dad gave me some really helpful advice. He says to me, he says, you know, the good thing about the word of God is he, he promises us that it will be effective regardless of the character of the person sharing. I said, hey, wait a second here. I don't know about that, so... So you're in for a, a, a treat, I guess, today, because his word will be effective, and that's good. Um, I did want to share with you, though, as we start, uh, just in case you're in like a, a, a deep discussion over dinner, or you're in a big trivia battle someday, there's actually a, a term for what we're going to talk about today. So in the field of theology, the study of the Holy Spirit is called pneumatology, and uh, James is going to bring that as up as well. So remember that. You might need it someday in some trivia battle that you're in. We're going to be looking at John chapter 16. If you want to turn in your Bibles to it, we're going to be looking at John chapter 16, and I'm going to read for us the first 15 verses of that chapter. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me, see me no longer. 
concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare it to you, the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. God, as we delve into your word now, I just would ask that you'd make it come alive. May the words that I share be the words that you want me to share. Lord, I just would ask that this understanding of your word uh, would... um, Just come alive for each one of us, Lord, that we would understand what you'd have for us in this message. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Amen. So we've talked a little bit about uh, this passage over the last uh, few weeks, and it's a whole segment, section of sermons and messages that Christ has. He knows that uh, that he's destined for the cross in the near future. He knows that he will be departing and leaving and not being with the disciples anymore, and he has a number of last sermons and last messages that he wants to give them, and they're very aware of it as well. There's a certain sadness uh, to uh, them because they recognize, hey, Christ is no longer going to be with us in the same way that he has We sort of see that in verse one, and I'm gonna go through this uh, passage basically verse by verse, and we're gonna be looking at a series of truths uh, in it. It says in verse one, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. So uh, Christ is referring back to what's been said in in chapters 14 and chapter 15 and saying, hey, I want you to keep these things in mind so that you don't fall away. I'm I'm trying to encourage you in your walk with God. And and the idea of falling away is this recognition that some people will look like they've accepted Christ as Savior, they'll look like they're in relationship with him, and then when tough stuff happens, when difficult things come in their life, there's a tendency to fall away, to to walk away from this uh, potential relationship with God. And it really reflects back, you might remember in the parable of the sower and the seed. There was certain seed, the certain message of the gospel that falls onto soil that was a shallow soil and the seed springs up. It, it produces, instantly begins to grow, but then the sun beats down on it and it withers and dies. And that's the same sense of falling away that's referred to in this passage. God's design, God's desire for us is that we develop deep roots and that those deep roots allow us to sustain our faith in God when we go through the difficult circumstances in life. In verse two, he says this. He describes two of the tough things that are gonna happen to them. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. These are tough things. These are things that in some ways we don't experience even in our 21st century world, right? And I think particularly the first one, this idea of being put out of the synagogue, we don't even understand it in our world today. So for the Jewish people of that time period, wherever they were, and many of them were scattered throughout the Roman Empire, in their communities, there would have been a synagogue. And this was the place that they came to worship God, to hear the reading of the law, to congregate together as people that shared the same ethnicity and the same religion. So it very much was the center of their cultural existence, their religious existence, their social fabric of their lives. And so uh, when Christ says this to them, you can almost picture their horror at the, the, this idea of their fate. All of a sudden they're like, what? 
That's horrible because it was this idea of being excommunicated, of being sort of, uh, of being made less than the rest of the people that would have shared the same background and experience that they had. This would have seemed like the ultimate form of punishment. And then Christ goes on to say something even worse. The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that they are offering service to God. This idea that uh, there was a time coming where uh, Christians would be persecuted, would be killed, and the people doing it would think they were doing the right thing for God. And what's interesting about this, this actually happens in the book of Acts. I don't know if you remember the story of Paul uh, before he becomes a believer in God through the uh, believer in Christ's work uh, to allow him to have a relationship with God. He actually is a very zealous Jewish individual and he believed that his service to God was to persecute and even kill uh, Christians. So within their lifetime, the disciples were going to experience the fulfillment of what, what Christ has said here. And then Jesus in this passage goes on and verses three to six are sort of a transition to where he's gonna get into introducing the Holy Spirit uh, to the disciples. And the transition is about the fact that, hey, I'm not gonna be with you for much longer. I have certain important things that I need to share with you. Uh, I know you're sad about the fact that I'm not gonna be here, but listen carefully, I have a message for you. And uh, that message really begins in verse seven. And today I wanna look at three things. I wanna look at the coming of the Holy Spirit the role or function of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We're gonna see first the coming of the Holy Spirit and we see this in verse seven where he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The helper is a term that's being used as the uh, a name or a term for the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you're using the NIV, NIV, I think it says the advocate. So that's the description of the Holy Spirit. There's two things I want us to see from this. First of all is this idea, it says that he needs to go away in order for the Holy Spirit to come. What, what does he mean by that? What's, what's Christ saying that? What he's saying in that is that um, he needs to go away, that he needs to fulfill his mission. He needs to complete the work that God had for him in order for the Holy Spirit to come. And to understand that, you need to understand that in the Old Testament, the way the Holy Spirit came, it came on people only for short periods of time, uh, for a specific activity, uh, for it to deal with a certain set of circumstances in life. But that's gonna change. We uh, in our modern world, when we accept Christ as Savior, God's Holy Spirit comes and resides in us. But that's only possible because Jesus Christ has completed his work on the cross. Uh, he's been resurrected, he's been risen, and he's returned to God the Father. So what Christ is saying in this passage, I need to do all of that so that you can experience God's Spirit in a way that's never been experienced before and have God, uh, through the Holy Spirit, reside in you. And he goes on and he says in this passage, and he calls him the helper or the advocate. And any of you that are in our grow groups in our church, you may remember, I think it was the last, for most of our, at least for our group, it was this last message was on the whole topic of the Holy Spirit. And it, it defined the word advocate as someone who comes alongside. The helper is somebody that comes alongside, helps, assists, helps make sense of, interprets for us, uh, guides us. All of these kinds of functions are part of what it means in that word. And they had this great picture in, that, uh, in the Alpha uh, series, and I want to just share the story with you that they shared there. Uh, for those of you that heard it before, I apologize, but it's just a great picture. There's a story of a, a gentleman who's flying in a small plane with a pilot, 
And in the middle of that flight, the pilot dies. And the man gets on the radio and he says, mayday, mayday, the pilots died. I do not know how to fly this plane. I am gonna die. Is there anybody that can help me? Is there anybody that can assist me? And uh, a voice comes on the radio and it was a, uh, a pilot who was a training pilot and he radios in. He said, hey, we got this. We're gonna take care of you. I'm right here. I'm right next to you. And he begins to describe to this man who doesn't know how to fly, how to, how to uh, slow the plane down, how to line it up on the runway. And he keeps giving encouraging words to him. And uh, then he's able to guide this man who doesn't know how to fly the plane, guide that plane into a gentle landing and he comes and he lands as well. And that that pilot, that training pilot who came alongside, that's like the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He comes alongside, he guides, he instructs, he comforts, he encourages, and he can be trusted. He's just like that pilot. He brings us to safety. So that's the coming of the Holy Spirit. Let's look now at the role of the Holy Spirit. And we see this in verses 8 through 11. It says there, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So there's three things that the Holy Spirit it does. He convicts the world regarding sin, he convicts the world regarding righteousness, and he convicts the world regarding judgment. Let's start by just, in this section, just start by understanding what does this word convict mean. I think if you think about it, there are sort of two definitions to it. And one of those is sort of a, a legal term, right? You, uh, have you been you've been charged with a crime, you have to go to court, you, there's a whole trial that plays out and the judge at the end of that time period says that you're guilty. And that when we think of that, you've been convicted of whatever this crime is. But, but there's a second definition of the word convict and that might be, relate to more of a, a relational situation. You're in a conversation with a friend and you're thinking about doing such and such an activity and they, they work on persuading you or convincing you that it's a, a bad idea and you realize that you've been convicted that you shouldn't do this, that you should do this instead. That second definition of uh, convicting, this idea of being convincing, I think is more appropriate to what we see in this particular passage. So thinking of that definition of of convincing, of of convicting, of this idea of convincing, or arguing for, or making a case for, let's take a look at the three things that uh, uh, Christ describes as being roles for the Holy Spirit. It says first that it's, uh, he convicts the world regarding sin. So thinking about this first as believers, so when we accept Christ as Savior, God's Holy Spirit comes and resides in us. And you can think about any of you that have, uh, are believers that are followers of God may have experienced this. You are tempted to do something and you, uh, you know uh, it's something that you shouldn't do because inside you there's a little voice that's saying, hey, I don't think this is a really good idea. In fact, this is a really bad idea. In fact, you know that this is wrong. That small voice inside you, that's the Holy Spirit working in you to to convict you, to convince you that what you're doing is wrong. But I think there's more than that to this passage because it's speaking specifically about the world. And the reality is, is that the work of the, it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit that someone who is not a follower of Christ recognizes their sin or their need for a savior. Human nature is about self-justification. We have an almost infinite capacity to, to self-justify, to think, hey, I'm okay, right? Because our, our tendency as human beings is we look at other people and think, well, I'm better than that. I'm not like those people over there. Or 
Oh, I didn't mean to point over in this section, sorry. <laughs> um, but even, even more than that, too, like there's this tendency to look at ourselves with God and think, well, you know, really, my, my good deeds are going to outweigh my bad deeds. I'm, I'm okay with the big guy, right? I'm okay with God. And the reality is that's not what we see in God's word. God's made it clear in his word that every one of us fails to live up to his high standards. He has a perfect standard, and the best that we can do as human beings still leaves a gap that we can't fulfill in any kind of way. Uh, God says in, in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's who we are. That's what our status, and it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit that we as human beings come to understand that. So when it says that the... Um, that the Holy Spirit's role is to convict the world of sin, that's what it's doing. It's helping us understand our status as not measuring up to God's standard. We see this more in verse nine, uh, where it gives a specific example. It says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. I think what he's pointing to here is this reality that the only sin that really matters is the sin of unbelief. Every other sin that we do is just evidence for the fact that we're broken, fallen, lost individuals. It's the one sin that really matters, the one that helps fill this gap with God is the fact that if I believe in God, uh, I've done what he wanted me to do. When I fail to believe in God, that's where I, I uh, fail to believe in the work of Christ. That's the ultimate sin that matters. So what Christ is pointing to here is the fact that the, it's through the work of the Holy Spirit that we recognize the fact that the sin of unbelief is a sin that's going to uh, curse us in the future. So the second thing that, that says that the Holy Spirit does here is it convicts the world concerning righteousness. And again, I think as believers, we can sort of see this same thing in our lives. There are times where we know there's something right to do, some activity or action that we should do. And however, our reason for doing it can be messed up. I want to be seen by others. I want somebody to recognize how good that I am. And we know that that's wrong because, again, God's Holy Spirit's working on us saying, hey, listen, that's not the right, that's not the right approach to you. You've lost the righteousness of what you're doing because you're doing it with the wrong attitude. But again, I think this passage, uh, it, it relates more to what ha is happening with the world. And then we can sort of see why in verse 10. Jesus says in verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. I think what Christ is pointing to in this passage is the reality that a significant part of his earthly ministry had been about destroying the pretensions of self-righteousness that marked the Jewish faith of that day. So, so much of what Christ had done had said, you've gotten it all wrong. The relationship with God is not about these things that you're trying to make it be about, following these rules of how many feet you can walk on the Sabbath and what kinds of good deeds you can do on the Sabbath. And you've missed the point. My message to you is the most important thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. And in other places, he goes on and says, love your enemies. And, and, and that's what it's really all about. And you've messed it up because all you're doing is following a certain set of rules. And his life had been about showing and demonstrating that, and it had proved to be convicting or convincing to the people around him. And he's saying now that I'm leaving, and now it becomes the role of the Holy Spirit to do that today. He's saying that the Holy Spirit takes on that same function. In our world today, religious and even non-religious people have a belief that they're okay, 
They're better than many others. They're good with God. And what God's saying through this is that the role of the Holy Spirit is to point out the fact that no matter how good we are, no matter what kinds of things that we're doing that we think are right, we fail to measure up to what God's standard is. It's only through the work of Christ that that gap is bridged that we can have a relationship with God. And then the third thing he says in this passage is that the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world regarding judgment. And I look at that and say, what in the world does that mean, right? It says in verse 11, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I think it's only when we recognize that the fate of the world is certain, that God will ultimately hold Satan accountable that the perceived unfairness of individuals benefiting from doing bad things, of doing evil to get ahead in this world, it's only when we recognize that that's really been taken care of and will be taken care of in the future that we can surrender in fullness to God. In the short term, our friends who are you know, committing every known sin and looking like they're having a whole lot of fun doing it, uh, it's in the short term, we look at that and think, well, what in the world are we doing this for? You know, why, why would I seek to be being obedient to God when this looks like it's a whole lot more fun? Um, but the reality is it's through the power, through the role, through the, what the Holy Spirit does for us that gives us a picture of the long term. The reality is that wrong will not prevail, that evil is already judged, and that Satan has met his match and his fate is certain. It's only when we recognize that that we can surrender to God in fullness. Amen. So we looked at the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the role of the work of the Holy Spirit, and now we want to look at the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we see this in verses 12 through 15. It says in verse 12, I, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear, you cannot understand them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into the truth where he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Starting in verse 12 uh, in this section, Jesus is sharing, I, I have more things to share with you, things that you can't understand now. And this relates to something that's really important. It's through the Holy Spirit being within us that we can come to understand God's word and what God wants to share and, and have us understand. And so what Christ is saying is right now, even though I'm with you, there are things that you can't understand because you don't have the Holy Spirit in you in the way that you will in the future. Uh, let's talk about that just a little bit. So when Christ is sharing this, this is just before the Passover uh, uh, events that would take place in his crucifixion. In that process of the uh, Passover, remember that Passover was a celebration that the Jewish people had for God's protection, for God's life-giving activity back at the time where they were uh, slaves in Egypt and were just about to leave Egypt. And the uh, Jewish people put blood on their door, the uh, post of their door and above their door. And in that, the angel of death that came along would not kill the firstborn child in their home. And... Uh, that it was a picture of what would happen at the time of the cross where God provides the ultimate lamb of God who would take away the, the once and for all sacrifice that would remove the need for any sacrifices to ever be made again uh, by the Jewish people because God's saying, I've provided my son. He's the ultimate lamb of God. So Christ comes, he's crucified, he's risen, he uh, walks amongst the people, his disciples again, and then he goes back to glory. And about 50 days 
after that time period of the crucifixion or after that Passover, the Jewish people had another feast, another celebration. It was called the, the, the Festival of Weeks or Feast of Weeks. And we call it, uh, the Greek word for it is Pentecost because it took place 50 days after uh, the Passover event. And in that time period, there would have been part of that whole Jewish diaspora. These people that were scattered throughout the Roman world would have come to Jerusalem. And when they came to Jerusalem that time period, they would have found, if they would have even known they existed, the disciples. Uh, and there would have been the 12 and, and, or 11 plus the new one and a few more individuals in an upper room. And they were there praying sad because Jesus was no longer with them, wondering what was next for them, literally cowering because at that moment they had no idea what was going to happen. And it was at that moment that God's Holy Spirit shows up in a powerful way and he's poured out on them. And it's sort of, uh, the you see this in Acts chapter two and we see this evidence of it because they had little tongues of fire that showed up above their heads. And they began to speak in languages that they did not understand, but were understood by these, uh, these Jewish members of the diaspora that spoke the languages in their home countries, but were in Jerusalem for this uh, religious festival. And they get a chance to hear the gospel message. And maybe more than anything else in terms of what the Holy Spirit does, as you had these 12 to 25 people that were cowering in an upper room that were scared to death, were not certain of where they were, and suddenly because of the power of the Holy Spirit, they're out in the public square sharing the gospel of Christ, sharing the good news of who Jesus Christ is and how a relationship with God could be established. And so you have um, the fact here of what Christ is saying is that because I'm going away, something different is gonna come and be with you that's gonna give you this kind of power and it's gonna give you this ability to understand uh, God's word and what I've shared with you. And then, uh, verse 13, he talks more about what it means as the Holy Spirit, as our guide, the one who comes alongside. And we see this in three ways in this, uh, particularly in verse 13. It says there, uh, he guides us in the truth. So this means that the Holy Spirit can be trusted. He rightly understands the world for the way the world really is. He, we can trust him to communicate what is true and not what is false. Second thing that we see there is that the Holy Spirit operates under the authority of God the Father. And we struggle, I mean, I do too. I don't understand the Trinity and it's gonna be something that maybe someday we understand when we're in glory, but it's, it's uh, connected to this idea of that within the Trinity uh, that the Holy Spirit is subject to both the authority and, uh, and operates from a position of humility as it relates to God the Father. And maybe an easier way to understand this is to see the example of Jesus Christ's life, right? In Philippians chapter two, it describes the fact that uh, that Jesus Christ did not uh, see equality with God as being something to be held onto or grasped, but he emptied himself, gave that up, came to earth, lived as a human being, and goes on and, and becomes the sacrifice for sin. And that picture of emptying himself, of recognizing his position as it related to God, is very much the same idea as it's talking about as it relates to the Holy Spirit, because it says here that the Holy Spirit communicates what God wants him to communicate, uh, God the Father wants him to communicate. And then finally, the third thing it says about the, the Holy Spirit as our guide is it declares to us the things that are to come. So sometimes we could jump on that and say, oh, great. You know, every one of us can be a prophet and sort of understand what's gonna happen in the future. And, and I don't think that's what's being said here. 
I think it's more broadly recognizing that because of the Holy Spirit's presence within us, that every one of us has this growing ability to be able to discern and understand through the power of the Holy Spirit. And by discernment, I mean this ability to be able to recognize the difference between what's good and what's evil, what's right and what's wrong. And this understanding of being able to look at what's going on in the world and sort of see it for what it is, the lostness and brokenness of a world that's desperately in need of a savior. And that's sort of what the Holy Spirit does. And in that, we can sort of understand their fate, their conclusion, where the future, what the future really holds. That's what I think it means in this passage for this ability of the Holy Spirit to help us understand what's gonna happen in the future. And he does it for a reason. And we see this in verse 14 where he says, he will glorify me for he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. This means that the Holy Spirit recognizes Jesus for who he really is as the son of God. And by helping us understand that, he is glorifying Christ. Jesus deserves glory. He deserves the recognition that that's, that's, uh, should be expected as a son of God. He deserves the glory by which, because he's the means by which we can have a, a relationship with God. I want to stop there today and just finish with two questions. And if, I think if the praise team wants to come up, they can at this moment. So two questions for you as we close. My first question for you is, does the Holy Spirit reside in you? Talked about this today, that that moment when we accept Christ as Savior, where we recognize the fact that God's standard is here, and at my best, I'm here. I can never measure up to what God's standard is. The bad things I do, the sin I have, the sin nature I possess separates me from God, and he's made us to be in relationship with him. He wants something better for us, and so when we accept Christ's work, when we recognize that through his death on the cross, he paid the price for, this, uh, for our sins, he makes it possible for me to have a relationship with God. So when I accept what Christ has done, when I accept his work on the cross, my relationship with God can be restored. At that moment, God's Holy Spirit comes and resides within us. And if, if you haven't done that, if this hasn't been part of your experience, I just challenge you, make this the day that you say yes to God. I, I, my, your Holy Spirit is actually working on me this morning and I wanna be in relationship with you. Make this the day that you'll accept him as savior. And then my second question for you, maybe you're, you are a believer and you know God's Holy Spirit is within you and you think, I'm, I'm not necessarily seeing this evidence of, of God's power of his Holy Spirit working in me. Some of those things that you talked about today, Brian, I don't see that happening in my life. I don't have that courage to share Christ with others. Uh, some of the things that Shannon said are just such a great fit for uh, this message today. I don't see this, uh, my desire or willingness to share Christ with others, to be willing to show and demonstrate his power. I think part of the way to understand that is that in our hearts, there's, it's like a throne there. And our tendency is to want to be in charge of aspects of our life when we should be allowing God and God's Holy Spirit to rule and direct in our lives. And so when I ask that question, do you see God's Holy Spirit and his power at work in you? It's about whether you're allowing him to be on that throne in your heart. And I just would challenge you today, if you're a believer and you want to see God's power lived out through his Holy Spirit in your life, allow him to be on that throne in your life. Let's pray. God, we, we love you. 
We thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord. It allows us to understand you, your word. Your Holy Spirit is our advocate. It's the one who comes alongside, who guides, who directs, who comforts. And Lord, I thank you for his presence. And Lord, may each one of us have that experience today by accepting you as Savior and then allowing your Holy Spirit to be in charge in our lives, to be in control. And Lord, as the ushers come now, we'd ask that this offering that we'll take at this moment be used to make a difference for your kingdom here in Redlands through the mission and then around the globe through the missionaries that we support, through the ministries that we support and through the, your kingdom work around the world, Lord. God, I just would ask that you'd bless those that give. Uh, I just would ask that you'd allow us as a church to be good stewards of these resources. We thank you for this in Christ's name, amen. podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.